you will, take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. As we talked about the body of Christ and unity, and we talked about speaking the truth in love, I thought today we might want to clearly define what love is in the New Testament and what love is in the church, the body of Christ. So we're going to talk about the greatest gift that we can offer as a church, what we can share with each other, and it's found in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. I'm going to read these verses, and then I I want you to look at a clip with me. Uh, The thing I want you to remember today, I did not give you a lot of notes. I don't want you to be caught up in notes. We don't need a theology of love. We need the activity of love. And so I want you to know this above all things today. Love is a verb in the Bible. The New Testament word agape is a word of action. It's the doing of something. It is the doing of love. It is acting out the love of Christ and reflecting the love of Christ and the love of God. It is a verb. And so doing, let me read verses 4 through 8 from 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Is not boastful. Is not conceited. Does not act improperly. Is not selfish. Is not provoked. Does not keep a record of wrongs. Finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. I want you to look at this clip with me for a moment as we look at the fact that we've never been unloved.
unable Christ died for the ungodly all of us have been unable in that little clip reflects perhaps the thoughts and the feelings and the actions of everyone in this congregation at some point and with all that we're reminded that God loves us with an amazing love that we do not deserve we could never earn we cannot achieve through any works or abilities of our own. It is simply God loving us because God is love. I say that because we can now know that I, there's never been a point in my time, no matter how I may have failed, I've never been unloved. And from the youngest here to the oldest, you are not unloved. Because of God, there's the possibility, the reality of experiencing an amazing love. Now, I say that because Paul is writing to the church that is struggling with how to love one another. And if God in his grace would love us and impart in us a new nature which takes on his character, then therefore we should be able to say, what do we need to do? Well, we can love one another. And how do we do that? How does that work? How can that be a possibility? Well, let's look at it. Because he's running a church that has all the spiritual gifts working, but they're working with the wrong motive. And he begins to say, guys, I see all this stuff that you think is great, and um, all you think is so important, but the truth is, let me share with you what really is important. And I think today the church has got to come to grips with what really is important and what we do. Uh, I, I think sometimes we're so busy doing church that we don't do church. We do all the stuff. We got everything we're trying to accomplish and all the, the possibilities of program and image and so forth and so on. We're not doing church. And if we talk about unity as we've been talking about and the church becoming the body of Christ, making an impact on its culture and community, then somehow we got to figure out how to really do church. And Paul says if you really want to do church, it starts with love. The very act of love, the, the, uh, the action of doing things that reflect and reveal love. 
And so he goes to this passage in Corinthians, and I'm not going to give you an exegesis on all this, but I do want to just tell you some things that you may have never thought about as we look at this. Uh, he says, first of all, love is patient. He's talking about being patient with people. Now, he's going this in the backdrop of the Corinthian church. They were impatient with one another because they were all, first of all, judging one another. They were squaring off against one another because of spiritual gifts and places and positions in the church. And he says, guys, y'all are impatient with one another. You're, and we're to be patient with the weaker brother, patient with the newer believer, patient with the one that's struggling. We're to be a people that reflects patience as God works in someone's life. Somewhere we think they all start out on level 10, when the truth is we all start out on level 1. And people were patient with me as I was growing up. My goodness gracious, my first church was very patient with me as I preached. I'd preached two sermons before I became a pastor. And so I, I can't imagine what those people went through Sunday after Sunday for a while. Finally, I think God began to say, here's what you need to do. And I began to learn how to do things better and, and work at it. Patience. People are not on the same growth plane. And so he's saying, guys, when you love, you learn to be patient with the weaker brother and the new brother and, and, and the new one in the faith. And also, he says, love is kind. Now, actually, that actually means love is useful in doing kind things. You ever heard anybody say, why don't you make yourself useful? You know what I mean? Do something good. Do something productive. That's what love is. Love finds a way to do something productive, to make a difference, to invest in someone, to somehow add value to someone's life. So we go, here's what I want to do. If, I, if I'm going to love you, I, I'm going to basically be kind how I go through life. And I'm going to try to find, a, a, to do some kind of act of kindness. Today, I wonder... Uh, if we ever thought when we come to church, what can I do to be kind to someone today? Maybe it's a hug or a handshake, kind word, asking how they're doing, what's going on in their life. I, some way of saying, I, I want to invest in you today because I, I'm trying to be kind. Now, the thing about this agape love is a love that's kind whether, whether people are kind back or not. It's an unconditional love that's constantly acting in our lives and acting through our lives. It also does not envy. Oh, now... Here's what's happening in the Corinthian church. They were envious of one another because of spiritual gifts. They had come from God. They had nothing to do with them. God said, I want to give you these various gifts. And they were operating. And some had said, these are really super spiritual gifts. We need these. And some said, well, these are not spiritual. And so these down here were envious of those up here. And Paul said, what are y'all doing? As a matter of fact, envy is when we resent blessings in someone else's life. You say, well, pastor, we would never do that. I think sometimes we're tempted to do it all the time. Something good happens to somebody, and we go, I can't believe it happened to them. They don't deserve that. Oh. Boy, I can't believe they have, I, you know, I, 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 yeah. hey, I've been around pastors that are eat up with envy. I know it's real. And man, I want that church. That's got a bigger church, a nicer building. I want that church. I can't believe that guy's that church. Oh, he's not qualified. He's not good enough for that church. You know, yeah, envy. Envy's an ugly thing. Envy's the very opposite of love. If I love, I'm excited that God has blessed you, that he's doing something in your life. Maybe he's not working in my life the same way. Maybe I'm, missing, I'm not enjoying what you're enjoying, but I'm excited that God is showing grace to you. Because why? If he will show grace to you, he's going to also show grace to me because he loves me just as much. I may go through something different or enjoy something different, but we do not envy one another because of position and what God is doing. When we envy one another in Christ, we're despising the blessings of God. And that doesn't work for anybody. So he goes on. 
Don't envy. It is not boastful, meaning it is not always, and I'm going to put conceited together, it's not boastful and conceited. You're not the center of the universe. It ain't all about you. And when you're sitting at a table, you should not dominate the conversation about you. Let somebody else talk. Let somebody else share. Let somebody else talk about what God's doing. Because that's, I'm saying, I want to be humble. I want to let you share. What's going on with you? Tell me what God's doing in your life. He says, love is, is preferring one another. So if we, if we talk about the body of Christ reflecting and revealing love, it's seen this way. We should be boasting in the Lord. Glorying in the cross, the Apostle Paul would say. Does not act improperly. That means rude and unacceptable. And is not selfish. Is willing to share, to give. Not hoard, but let go of. Is not provoked. Wow. Not provoked. Patient and not provoked are kind of the same thing to me. It's not, not short-tempered, not quick-tempered. And so that patience comes in again. We learn to be patient and learn to not be easily, quickly provoked. Is there a time that we may have to, to, to be angry about something? Yes. And you deal with it biblically. You go and you say, we've got to talk about this because I am getting angry. And I don't like being angry. I shouldn't be angry about this, so let's talk about it. And so he said, here's what I want you to do. Let's, let's, uh, let's not be easily provoked. Does not keep a record of wrongs. Wow. That means you let go of your, of your list for retaliation. You didn't let go of it. You're ah, not going to keep a list. This person did 10 things, 15 things. Uh, you begin to write down things and offenses, and guys, that's depressing. That's discouraging. That's defeating. You let go and you trust God with the results. We are all going to be wronged. Hey, we are. It's a fact of life. We're going to be wronged. Somebody's going to hurt our feelings. Somebody's going to do us wrong. Somebody's going to take advantage of us, abuse us. Sometimes that happens. I don't have to keep a record of it. I trust God to keep the record, to balance the books. And you got to learn to let go and let that happen. Otherwise, you begin to become resentful, you become bitter, and love cannot flow through you. you got to learn to let go of the record-keeping. And, and uh, you know, just... just um, you just let it go. Don't visit it. And so he says, this is how love begins to operate in the body of Christ. And so it does all these things. It finds no joy in unrighteousness. It doesn't, it doesn't get excited when injustice is done uh, and, and immorality uh, seems to prosper. It doesn't rejoice in that. Love is brokenhearted over injustice and pain and suffering of sin. It rejoices in the truth. It's excited about the Word of God and how God works in the truth and life. It bears all things. Wow. Let me talk about that for a minute. It actually talks about in the Greek about the fact that love will bear wrong. Someone may have wronged you. And the temptation is to 
while the Bible says, I want you to go to that person if they've wronged you, you go to them and sit down and talk to them one-on-one. That's the first step, incidentally. Not the last step. It's the first step of if someone has really hurt your feelings or done something wrong or sinned against you. And they may have done it unintentionally. They may have done it intentionally. You go to them and you say, we need to talk about this because we're, we're part of the same family, part of the same body. Let's work this out because we want to be healthy for the glory of God. And you begin to do that. Here's what we do. While we say, well, I'm going to go talk to that person. On the way to talk to that person, we try to get a parade to go with us. We go, we, bring, we, also, we tell 10, 15 people because we want them on our side before we ever go talk to the person. And so we get this parade going to the thing. Here they go and they say, let me, you know. Uh, the Bible says you're not supposed to do that. I'm supposed to, if you've wronged me, I want to talk to you. Now, if we don't get satisfaction, we have to go somewhere, have to involve some other people, try to get satisfaction and get it resolved and bring about attitude of repentance if sin's the issue. Absolutely. We're not saying that you don't deal with sin. You deal with sin right. You deal with sin in a way that love can prevail and can be redemptive and restoring. Sometimes it may not work out that way, but we in love operate that way. How we do it. That's how the body of Christ functions. You start out hoping it's a positive end. You, you, you operate with a motive of love that says, I want to be redemptive. may not end up that way, but that's where you start what you hope for. If you hope to engage with someone with a desire of wiping them out, crushing them down, leaving them barely alive, you have the wrong motive in what you're doing. That's not going to edify, build up, or reflect the, the love of God. I'm not saying you got to be, you, you know, if you deal with something, deal with it. Deal with it from integrity and truth. Deal with it. But deal with it from a spirit of love that says, I want you to be redemptive. I want you to change. I, I want us to, to get through this and over this and beyond this. Another thing is, bears all things, and, and preachers are pretty bad about this. If a preacher messes up in some way, form, or fashion, it is amazing how quick other preachers want to talk about it. We can't wait to tell everybody we know what's happened. No. How about if we go that person and then we try to minimize damage? Because please, let me hear what I'm about to say. Every time we decide we want to publicize everybody's faults and failures, we damage the body of Christ. We hurt. We are to protect what we can. That doesn't mean cover. Doesn't mean look the other way. But it means that I want to minimize damage. So I don't want to be, because the truth is sometimes we, we like telling where other people fail because it makes us look good because we haven't. You see, here's what's happening. The world is wanting to look and see this love we keep talking about. We talk about God loves you. God, God is love. Jesus loves you. And we quote John 3.16. And the world keeps wanting to see that. They won't know, where's that at? Tell me about that. I don't see it. They hear us talk in the marketplace, in the restaurant, in the workplace, at the ball fields. And they're going, I ain't seen this love thing y'all talking about. Love is a verb. And all around us are people that have been unable. And they're wanting to know, is there some way in, in their failure and sin, can, can love break through? Can love really make a difference? 
And the answer is yes, it can. Because that's how all of us come to a new relationship in Christ, through God's love. God's love provided a way of salvation. Believes all things. Doesn't mean you're gullible. It means that you are giving the benefit of doubt. Hopes all things, hoping for the best, endures all things, persecution, because love is eternal. It never ends. It goes from this life into eternity because it's God. Uh, you say, how does love work, Pastor? How does the body of Christ do this? How do we operate in love? We do just what it says here. He was speaking to a church that seemed to struggle with this. They didn't have this down. They didn't seem to be reflecting it. So he said, here's how it looks when you love. Now, how do we make it practical? Well, I was thinking about this. Actually, I was, uh, I was reminded of this um, yesterday. I was, I was, we, were, we were helping uh, Alan move a little bit, and, and uh, it reminded me of my days in seminary. You know, you, you go to seminary, and you don't know anybody. You're kind of going on a strange campus, and everything's new, and everybody's been there, it seems like, longer than you. And, and you pull in that U-Haul truck, and you wonder what's going to happen, and and uh, I, uh, when I went to New Orleans uh, and left Douglasville, left behind a house and sold my truck, sold my bass boat, and uh, left and, and went to school. I uh, left a job that paid very well to work for minimum wage in New Orleans because that's all they ever paid seminary students. And I loaded the truck virtually by myself because kind of everybody was mad because I was going to New Orleans. <laughs> and going, oh, we don't want you to go. We don't think you should go. We don't want you to go. And, and so I, there wasn't a lot of support loading the truck. Charlene's father did come and help me load some heavy stuff, and I appreciated that. But the rest of it was tough. It's hard. Load that thing up. And took off New Orleans, didn't know what to expect. But I noticed something when you pulled in the campus of New Orleans because it was a body of believers, a body, a sense of community. We pulled in, all of a sudden they saw the U-Hole coming and when you pulled into your respective place you were going to live, people came to help you unload the truck. Oh, they didn't know me. But oh, hey, what can I help you? And, and, and so you learned that this was community for us. We would sit there and help people unload a truck. We're glad you're in the battle with us. We're glad you're going to be in the ministry. We're excited you're part of us, so we're going to help you unload so you'll stay here. And they begin to do that. Man, they unload the heavy stuff. We carried boxes. It was incredible. The good thing was we were on the bottom floor. It was real nice. We got to stay on the bottom floor. That was neat. We thought the bottom floor was great until the pipes busted above us and the water flooded our apartment out. Oh, boy, we're on top. But... And then someone pulled up that had a piano. I'm talking about a real piano. That was not the, not one show, I'm talking about the full, man, it's big, heavy and old. Because everybody had old pianos. Solid wood, everything was heavy. And all of a sudden, 10 guys would get together and put that thing up the steps into the second story, man. They'd get, they move it. Because there was a sense of love is a verb. Not just what you say, it's what you do. And so all of a sudden, people come there, they just help one another. They met need. That's what love is. Love is meeting a need. That's what we do. Jesus said this in Luke 10 about the Good Samaritan. He says, guys, love is this. 
when he said, you know, to love your neighbor, and, and some, some guy that was trying to be very, very intellectual and very, uh, a little bit not necessarily sincere in his question, said, well, okay, who's my neighbor? And Jesus said, well, let me share a story with you. There's a guy that's gone on a trip, and he's been jumped by robbers and thieves. They've beat him half to death, leaving him to die, taking everything he's ever owned, and they've gone and left him there in a sad state of existence. He's dying. The priest comes by, and he sees this man, and he goes across the other side of the road and keeps going on his way. The Levite comes by and sees him and goes by away from him and goes by on his way. And then Jesus said something that just, just spoke to the very issue of their lives. He said, but a Samaritan came by. Now, he was speaking to a Jewish audience, and they had no regard or respect for Samaritans. And he said, but a Samaritan, the lowest of the low, those that you don't even like to talk to or look at, you won't even speak to, a Samaritan saw the need of this person and he went over and began to bind up his wounds and bring and try to sustain his life and, and then took him and carried him to a place where he could rest and recuperate. And he said, I'm going to pay for his lodging and his food. And when I come back, if he's used more than this, I'll take care of it. Because he saw the need. He saw the need. And Jesus said, well, now, who do you think your neighbor is now? the one in need. Guys, in the body of Christ, the world outside is want to know, do we really love one another? I know we talk about it. We sing about it. They want to know, do we really do it? Do we meet each other's needs? Do we really care what we're going through and how we can minister to one another? Because this is what saying, this is what you do. You meet need. You, you go, look, I, I want to do something. I, I, I'm going to somehow, love and action communicates the value of a relationship. I am going to meet your need. Because I love you. Now, see, love, we think because our culture has made it so that love is an emotion, an affection, and a feeling. And that is a lesser form of love. There's no question of that. But biblical love, New Testament love, Christian love transcends that. It is a love without condition. It is a love that operates on action, not attitude, and not affection. It is a love that says, I'm going to minister to you whether you want me to or not. I'm going to minister to you whether you respond to me or not. I'm going to minister whether you appreciate it or not. I am going to meet your need because I love you. Do you realize how much God loved us before we responded? I mean, really. God loved us I mean, we were, we were sometimes, we were pushing away, resisting, not responsive, telling him no, telling him we don't care, not today, some other time. And God keeps loving us, never stopped loving us. He said, oh, 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 I love you. You see, we don't get to say, well, I've loved enough. Love is a verb. It's what you do. Yeah, anybody can talk love. We must love. Love meets a need. You see the need, and all of a sudden, you guys, have, we, <laughs> we think we've got to be invited to meet a need. 
No. If you see the need, you do something. I want you to know, I, 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 we somehow have got to, the, the New Testament church in the 21st century has got to begin to display the love of God in how we love one another. You said, they'll know you're my disciples because you love one another. That, that you somehow, how you respond to each other in our imperfections, in our inabilities, in our insecurities, somehow we can love one another. We bear one another up and we cover one another and we protect one another and we give each other the benefit of the doubt. All these things he talks about, we're patient with one another. It's love. It's a supernatural thing. It's a God thing. You've got to be born again to do this kind of love. Well, listen, again, going back to New Orleans, I, I remember when we were there, we were there in the summertime, and Charlene, we just discovered she was pregnant. Our firstborn child was on the way, and here she is pregnant in New Orleans, and it's like, you know, 100 degrees, the humidity's high, and the bugs are bad, and everything's off. Uh, she was very sick. Matter of fact, she was very, very sick. Had to take a lot of medication. She was almost had to put her in the hospital. And uh, our apartments did not have air. And so we're down in the summer. We don't have air conditioning. Because we don't have any money to buy an air conditioner. And we're saying, Lord, here we are. Just take care of us. And then there was a knock on the door from the guys who lived upstairs. And they came down and he had an air conditioner in his arm, and he said, uh, I want to bring this down to you. We have two. We know you can use one. We got two. Man, that's great. Now, they could have used two because they had a children, and they had, could use one in each room. But they said, no, we're going to be okay. We can use one. And we, they shared an air conditioner with us. And then uh, another lady said, look, we've got, I've got clothes that I wore when I was pregnant. Let me get them to bring them down to you. I don't know where we came up with that. We have to be invited to love. Love meets a need. Somehow it goes beyond what we just, uh, again, we're, we're so busy doing church, we don't do church. That was a verb. We display the cross not to remember the horrifying torture but to remember the magnitude of God's love. Oh. While I was unable, he commends his love to me while I was a sinner. He died for me. Guys, I didn't invite God to do anything in my life. I resisted. I went the other way. God never stopped loving me. He was always taking the initiative. I didn't take the initiative. God pursued me with a love, faithfully. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, I recognized how much he loved me and how much he did not want me to be separated from him by my sin, that he wanted to be a part of my life. He wanted to change my life. And I, I somehow realized this, realized that, God, I do want to experience your love, your forgiveness, and your grace. He took the initiative. Never was he waiting for my invitation. 
Because truth is, I would have never invited first. Oh. He had to show me that he loved me. He had to show me that he valued me first. And I responded to his love and his grace. Now, if that's that how we start our relationship with Christ, then we live out our relationship the same way. And the body of Christ should be able to display an amazing God love for the world to see. And it will cause us to radically rethink how we do life and sometimes how we do church. I'll close with this. I, I am one of the most blessed men in the world beyond description for many reasons. First of all, that God would love me and die for me and save me is incredible. If nothing else was good, that'd be good enough. But the woman I enjoy as my wife, let me tell you when I really fell in love with her. I fell in love with her. We had been dating and dating kind of off and on, and uh, we dated other people. We were very, uh, look, you know, we're just trusting God. We're praying about this, and we're not in a hurry, and, and let's just, you know, we're never going to get serious. And so uh, we, did, we did that for a while, but I will never forget, she sent me a card. She'd gone on a trip, and she sent me a card. I know it was a busy trip to have time, but she bought a card, and she sent me a card, and in it, she said, she signed, you know, you know, a mission and all this good stuff, you know, and all this. But then she says, I love you. And for the first time, I realized that she loved me. And I fell hopelessly in love with her. Oh, I was infatuated with her. I was attracted to her. I, I man, I was, you know, Excited to have her as a date. Now, I mean, she was wonderful. But when I realized that she loved me, I had this amazing freedom to love her. Boy, I, I, I remember all of a sudden I didn't want to date anybody else. I'm in love. I didn't want her to date anybody else because I was in love. And all of a sudden, we never said we're not going to date. We, other people just stopped dating other people. Next thing you know, we're, we're thinking, we, I think, we, we, man, we, we love each other so much. Why don't we just, we need to get married, live with each other the rest of our days. And all because I realized she loved me. Guys, do you realize that God loves you? I mean, is it really sunk in that he loves you? As sorry a bunch as we are, he loves us. I mean, you know, she could have done far better. I married way over my head. But I'm here to tell you, God loves us. He loves you. And in doing that, have you ever given your heart and life to him?